Welcome to the Daily Flow. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to uh, the Daily Flow uh, podcast, where you can ask questions about uh, Kanban, Scrum, Lean UX, Nexus, and less. Um, there's usually no shortage of improvement ideas. Not sure if you've noticed that. But how many improvements are we actually making? And so what we're going to talk about today is, you know, is there another question that we could ask? Like, for example, what's the smallest thing that we can change? I want to talk to you today about um, how continuous improvement happens with uh, teams practicing agility. One of the most common patterns would be the idea of a retrospective. In Scrum, there's a there's a sprint retrospective. In Kanban, it's not in Kanban guides. It's not so much spelled out that you you uh, you have to have retrospectives, but uh, any good Kanban team really would be doing some kind of uh, retrospective. In addition to that, we, in other approaches like Nexus, for example, you got multiple teams working together. Nexus is probably the simplest pattern on the planet, really, for getting multiple teams working together. Nexus has a, a Nexus sprint retrospective, uh, so each team might have its own retrospective, but ultimately, there's kind of an overall retrospective, you like call, call the uh, Nexus uh, uh, sprint retrospective in, in Nexus. Also, a less teams can have their own retrospectives and then then uh, there's an overall retrospective which i think is a touch of genius i'm going to get onto that later on lean ux i don't hear people so much talk about retrospectives but i think it would be good practice to check in every now and again you know our use of the lean ux canvas are we are we using it as best as we could uh, are we behaving best towards each other and so on there's all sorts of fancy techniques that you're probably already aware of. The most popular book that I can think of is Joel Retrospectives, Making Good Teams Great by Esther Darby, uh, Diana Larson, and Ken Schwaber. Some people use funretrospectives.com, funretrospectives.com. But I learned a few years ago not to get too excited about all of these approaches. Because what can happen a lot of the time we end up with a whole load of things that we want to improve and then we don't actually do any of those. I've had some situations where scrum teams, Kanban teams have been too busy to learn. The 2017 scrum guide, they used to say that you had to have at least one improvement uh, idea in the sprint backlog for the next sprint. So there was already in your next sprint, there was already an improvement item that uh, needed to be acted upon. They got rid of that in the 2020 guide, which much to my relief, because sometimes I think the improvement uh, should be done immediately. We're going to talk about more about that later on. But the reason that I started getting a little bit careful uh, with continuous improvement, particularly retrospectives, is when I noticed that teams weren't actually doing the improvements that they were talking about, it, my fear was usually that some kind of cynicism might kick in, they might cop on at some point, you know, what's the point in having these retrospectives? We're actually not doing what we're saying we should do. And then someone would rightly say, 
why are we doing this? Uh, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, why, why would you bother uh, doing this? So uh, I want to talk about that today and maybe a coping strategy for dealing with that. And so the coping strategy that I tend to use, I don't mind what format to use. Sometimes you can do what I call a retrospective drive-through where you do the most simple retrospective, you know, what, what should we stop doing, what should we start doing, what should we continue doing and so on. One of my mentors said to me yesterday, I thought it was quite a nice one, he said to me, you know, what's going well and even better if, a much more positive way of looking at change and improvement. But what I ask teams to do is when they're, whatever technique they're using, can they identify, can they identify which of these improvement items are actually within their control within their sphere of influence if you like which improvements are actually beyond sphere of influence beyond their control there's a couple of reasons for that what i say to people when i used to say to people when i was inside the building i used to say do you think the receptionist on the ground floor is going to change because you want her to change and they all look at each other and they realize no they don't it's, that's ridiculous so why do we expect people outside the room to change just because we think it's a great idea they need to change they need to want to change themselves. So if there's other people who need to do some change, well, maybe if you're using the Scrum, for example, the Scrum master and managers in the less context could go and talk to those people and uh, understand if maybe some change is possible. But we shouldn't really let the teams off the hook in terms of like there might be some things that we could actually improve. And so it's really important to say, okay, what's within our control and what's out of our control? In other words, it's something in your control you know, just go, just go ahead and do it. So I want to talk to you about something because essentially when people say they want improvement, we need to be realistic, I think, about how much improvement is really possible. I read a book called uh, The Spirit of Kaizen, Creating Lasting Excellence One Step at a Time by Robert Maurer. There was an idea in the book that really struck me. I'll kind of paraphrase uh, what was basically said in the book. Essentially what they're saying is when we were Stone Age men and women, and if we were in the middle of India somewhere and there was some tiger uh, about 100 meters away, uh, you wouldn't say, well, I, I, you know, I wonder, should I run? You know, you just run. So your amygdala at the base of your brain, top of your spine would kick in and you would just run. But apparently, when there is a large change, like something that's a big amount of work, it also triggers the amygdala. So we metaphorically get our spears out to kill that change, to kill that improvement. In addition to that, I think we all understand at this point that, you know, saying we should do this and we should do that, there's really no shortage of things that we should do. And so the really interesting question that Robert Maurer asks in this episode is, What's the smallest thing that we can change? The smallest. Because we want it to be something that's doable. If you're doing Scrum, you might do a Scrum values uh, radar diagram. You might identify some Scrum value you want to improve. And the team might be saying, well, they want to do this, that, and the other to improve that. And I say, no, 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 no. What's the smallest thing that you can change? And they can usually agree that pretty quickly. It's action oriented, you implement it straight away. No need to have an improvement item in the next sprint. You just do it immediately. If you're doing Kanban, you could do the same. Uh, what's the smallest thing that we can change? And what I can tell you is 
the since I started implementing that as an approach, the teams who do that, they do that smallest change. Then in the next retrospective, I ask them again, what's the next smallest thing they can change? And they do that change. And then a few retrospectives in, I ask them to look back at the small things that they changed as they went along. And they surprise themselves with how much progress they have actually made. In liberating structures as, as well, they, they talk about 15% solutions where you don't have a perfect solution. You, you try to find something that just gets, gets you moving in the right direction. That's my little tip for you today. Ask the question, what is the smallest thing that you can change? There's loads of things that we should be doing. We don't do them a lot of the time unless we've got really, really good willpower. Delivery kind of gets in the way. I've had some stories where a product owner, for example, in a large bank in the UK, after three retrospectives where I got loads of compliments about how cool the retrospective was and the different techniques I use and so on and so forth. I got a little bit tired because I had to remind her three times after the third retrospective about improvements that they committed to do in the next sprint. Just one, I think there was just one improvement. And the third reminder, uh, the item was added into the sprint. And then the, I went on a day's holiday, which I don't, I don't take many holidays. And when I came back, asked what happened because uh, the item was no longer there on the sprint backlog, the reason Scrum. I was told, yeah, we got a tap on the shoulder. We're too busy to, we need to deliver here. We need to focus on delivery. So uh, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a kind of a hamster wheel situation when you're really just too busy to learn, too busy to improve. And the essence of agility is continuous improvement. And if you're not doing that, you got something, there's something wrong. There's, um, yeah, you need to maybe just do a little bit of recalibration of where you are in terms of uh, how agile you really are. So that's my little nugget for today. What's the smallest thing that you can change? Got a question for us? Leave a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash daily flow forward slash message and we'll feature it as well as provide you with an answer.